0: Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Uh, Thank you for being here this morning. What a blessing it is uh, to be in the presence of God and to be in the presence of His people. Uh, There is something special that happens In the assembly. This is why in the book of Hebrews it tells us that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I'm glad that there are still people who believe that scripture. That we should not forsake the gathering of God's people together in one place. We're grateful for the tools that we have, online church and various things that we have today, uh, that they got us through this pandemic. Uh, but they are, how many understand? Online church is no replacement for the assembly. Of God's people. And so we're, we're glad that you're here. Just putting that word in for all of those maybe watching on live stream right now, we're grateful for that, especially of those who are unable to be with us due to sickness or illness or whatever's going on. Uh, but there is nothing that can replace the assembly of God's people. We are so glad that you're here to be a part of it uh, this morning. Let's open up our Bibles together to the book of Leviticus and chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. And when we turn to the Old Testament book of Leviticus, this is a telling of the laws that God delivered to his people from Mount Sinai. Leviticus, the, the, the word or the name of this book comes from the root word of the Levites, which is the tribe of Israel that was called to the priesthood. These were the tribe of Levi that were called by God to perform ceremonies and sacrifices on behalf of the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And so uh, we're going to discover something this morning, an ancient practice, an ancient sacrifice. Can we close that door, please? We're going to find an ancient service and ceremony that the Jews practice even to this day and yet still has profound meaning and usefulness to us today. You may not be aware, since uh, since most of us are Gentiles in the house this morning, but the, uh, the Jewish people are in the midst of their high holy days. Uh, they just recently celebrated Rosh Hashanah, which means the first day of the Jewish New Year. And on a Friday, or Thursday, I believe it was, they began their most holy day of the year, which is called Yom Kippur. It is uh, the Day of Atonement. And I just want to give you uh, the, the scripture we're about to read is the one that instituted this Jewish High Holy Day and to tell you a little bit about why it is that the Jews celebrate this day of Yom Kippur and why it is still meaningful for us today. So uh, this comes from, uh, from a rabbi who is teaching about Yom Kippur and its importance to us today. He says, It is more than just confessing of our sins. It is an opportunity to envision what our lives and our communities could be like if we all became a little more caring with every passing year. On the morning of Yom Kippur, we read from the Torah, Uh, in a place where we learn that meaningful Jewish lives are not too hard for us and not too far away if we are willing to choose a life of caring for one another. We recite a prayer that recounts our sins, gossip, arrogance, exploiting of the weak, and other missteps, missteps that we've taken during the year previous. These holidays are a time for something called teshuva, which is understood to mean repentance. But it's more than just repentance. It is the return, a return to something that is holy, that hasn't yet reached fruition, a return to goodness and caring that could have been and still can be. It is a time to search and find the potential for good and holiness that has been within us all along, but somehow became hidden through the hustle and bustle of everyday life. I want to tell you that is something worthy of our attention. That if God's people, if we who have the revelation of Jesus Christ, of how we find that atonement, if those of us could realize the potential for good in our lives, how many know that would be a good thing? That would be a good thing for our lives personally? It would be good for your family? It would be good for a church or a community, a city, a state, and a nation. And so this is a message I've titled, Afflict Your Soul, Not Your Body. Why Yom Kippur Still Matters. And we're going to read this scripture, Leviticus Chapter 16, verses 29 and 30. Read with me this morning. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Afflict your soul, not your body. Let's pray. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the spirit of the living God. We thank you for atonement by the blood of Jesus this morning, not by bulls and goats and turtle doves. God, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, which all pointed forward to the ultimate sacrifice that you gave on the cross, your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, that we would all find this atonement today, Lord, not just so that we can be more religious and be more faithful to the, the religious services, but God, that our hearts could be clean this morning, that our lives would reflect your glory, and we thank you for all that you're going to do in our hearts this morning, in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. I want to begin by looking with you at the topic of self-affliction. Because this is something that we see on the rise in our country, in our culture, in our schools, in our young people. It is something to be highly concerned about. It's a rise of self-affliction. Another word we might use is self-mutilation. It is a strange phenomenon that is happening uh, in the last, perhaps we could say, 20 to 30 years. Now that we, as a society, I believe we are in a post-Christian era. It hurts my soul to say that. But here we are in a, in a world, in a, in a culture that has, for the most part, rejected God, rejected His principle, rejected uh, Him in the schools, rejected Him in our marriages, rejected Him in our homes, and this is the culture that we're living in, like it or not and as a result as our culture has turned away from god it is not that we turn to nothing it is not that we simply become less religious and less affiliated with church and less uh, a spiritual no actually we uh, when we turn from god we always turn to something else there is no such thing as an atheist and what i mean by that is that yes, of course, there's lots of people who would say, I don't believe in God. But what I mean by that is that when you turn from God, you will always turn to something else. There will always be in the heart of man a yearning, a desire to worship something or someone. And if that something or someone is not Almighty God, well, it turns into something else. That worship will turn to Almighty Dollar that worship will turn to the almighty job. That worship will turn to the almighty government or the almighty sports team or the almighty possession that you own. What I'm saying this morning, there is no such thing as zero worship. You will worship somebody. And as our culture is turning its face away from God more and more, the thing that that is amazing to me to see is a rise... In self mutilation, it is the it is the popularity. Uh, I was amazed. Um, where was it? I was with uh, Pastor uh, uh, Pastor Patrick Johnson when he was here a few weeks ago, and we were driving on a Saturday uh, through through the mall parking lot over here at Lynn Haven. Uh, not, not the mall, but that little that little sh- shopping center uh, next to the mall. And uh, and so we were driving. And we were wanting to stop by the music store there. And uh, as we're driving, we see this massive line of people uh, that's lined up on the sidewalk. Well, what's, what's going on here? What's... And it turns out that it was a tattoo parlor. And there had to be a 100 people lined up in front of the tattoo parlor. Uh, I don't know if they had some kind of promotion going on. But I want to tell you uh, that that that's a popular place. People are lining up and paying big bucks to put prints on their skin and to experience the pain of receiving a tattoo. Not, not just that, but uh, piercings, uh, body modifications, uh, people doing all manner. And listen, I'm not, I'm not uh, condemning you uh, if you've uh, uh, gotten a tattoo this morning, but th- there is amazing to me this incredible rise of Uh, body modifications, and self-mutilation. And one thing that you cannot deny, it's one thing if you're just trying to decorate yourself, but for many people, the desire to get a tattoo or to pierce yourself through many times is more than just this. There is many times a deep emotional connection to feeling the pain and experiencing that and finding many times a deep spiritual release in that. So this is something curious about the sinful human heart, that when we feel pain and anguish, depression and stress, there is actually something attractive about that to our sinful nature. Now, there is a very clear prohibition in the Word of God against self-mutilation and harming your body. I want to read these scriptures to you. Deuteronomy 14, verse 1. You are the people of the Lord your God, so never cut yourself. Leviticus nineteen twenty eight: Do not cut your bodies. Do not mark your skin with tattoos. I am the Lord. Leviticus twenty one five, the priests must not shave their heads or trim their beards or cut their bodies. Jeremiah sixteen six both the great and lowly will die in the land. No one will bury them or mourn for them. Their friends will not cut themselves in sorrow or shave their heads in sadness. And so this is something interesting. When the Bible gives a prohibition against something, it means that there is a tendency for us to do those things, right? The, otherwise, the Bible wouldn't tell us to stay away from those things, right? So uh, for the Ten Commandments, for example. When God says, you shall not murder, why does he have to say that? Because you get ticked off at people in, in, in traffic, and you want to murder them, okay? And so because there is that sinful tendency, God has to say, don't do that. When God says, do not commit adultery, that's because, guess what? Uh, we, uh, there is a tendency in sinful human nature to stray and to be unfaithful. And so God has to say, don't do that. And in the same way, if we find a prohibition in the word of God against cutting ourselves, that somewhere deep down in the heart of man is a tendency to want to cut ourselves. And my question is, where does it come from? Why do we have that in our sinful nature and so uh this is more than just tattoos and body piercing and self-mutilation because this can express itself in other ways as well now there might be people who would never visit a tattoo parlor but they are more than willing to punish themselves emotionally in fact, the Hebrew word, when it says that, do not cut yourselves, the Hebrew word is gadad, and that word means literally to separate. Some people, how many know, will, will, uh, when, when they feel this emotional trauma and stress, have a tendency to do what? To separate themselves. They view it, uh, I'm not worthy enough to be around other people. This plays out with church members many times, that when we find ourselves guilty or filled with shame or unbelief, uh, it's not that that you're going to throw your Bible in the trash and become a pagan overnight. But what it is, is that many people will say, I don't deserve to be in the house of God, so I'm going to punish myself by staying at home. I'm not going to be in the assembly with other people. I'm going to separate myself. I'm going to separate from those who love and care about me. This can happen in families. When you have uh, children who are raised in the house of God, knowing what's right and wrong, and when they begin to sow their wild oats in the world, and all of a sudden don't want to talk to mom and dad like they used to. And this is what that is. It's a separation. It's, uh, the, the very people who, who care about you most begin to be separated from them. It is, in many ways, a self, a harm. People begin to run into isolation. There are good and godly people in the church who, because they feel unworthy because of some perceived sin in their heart, that they're, uh, they're running away from ministry, running away from outreach. Running away from doing the very things that God has called you to do. I know people who don't want to go to conference because of this. Because in their heart they don't believe that they are worthy of it. There are many uh, things that we turn to in times that we feel this desire to self-harm. If not to tattoos or body piercings, some people will turn to, uh, to destructive behaviors. Drugs and alcohol, pornography and pills. Some people will turn to, uh, to, uh, attitudes of self-rejection. Am I preaching this morning? What is this that, what is this desire that we're finding in the sinful heart of man? It's something very interesting. You see it even in very small children sometimes. Maybe you've seen a small child who uh, who is smacking themselves in the face or banging their head against the wall. I, you would think that that is not normally something that, that they would want to do. You, you know, you would never see this in the animal kingdom, right? You've never seen this out on the wild. Uh, you wouldn't see an animal harming itself on purpose for no reason. I mean, maybe an animal who's caught in a trap. You've heard maybe accounts of they would chew off their own foot just to get free. But at least in that case, there's a reason. But you never see, you know, an animal out on the savanna, some elephant banging its head against the tree just to feel the pain. You don't find that. But you find it in small children. Where does it come from? People who drink away their sorrows. Popping pills. Or the classic one. Jump in the car. And step on the gas. Eating binges. Netflix binges. These are all different variations of the same thing. It is the need to feel a pain on behalf of some evil that has happened. It goes to the heart of every human being. And I want to say this morning, all of this is the result of separation from God. Separation from God and his principles. And whenever you see yourself or others hurting themselves on purpose, it is the result of trying unsuccessfully to make amends for the things that we've done wrong. What it really is at the heart of the issue is an incorrect way of processing the bad things that we've done. Are you with me this morning? It is when people, and guess what? We're all sinners. We've all done things we're ashamed of. We've all done things that need to be atoned for. And many people will, as they begin thinking and processing those feelings of guilt and shame, it begins to process in life through self-harm. Young girls who cut themselves or dress scandalously. It's all part of the same thing. At the heart of the matter this morning is the need, the human need for atonement. This is what the day of Yom Kippur is all about in the Jewish festival. It is the need for atonement. Atonement. What is atonement this morning? It is, uh, according to the dictionary, a reparation for a wrong or injury. My favorite definition of atonement is when we take the word and break it into two pieces. To be atoned means to be made at one. At one with. In other words, um, if there is some person, some individual that you have sinned against or has sinned against you, that there is... Uh, as a result of sin, there is separation, right? Right. So if I if I came down here in the front row and I said, "Hey, Paul," and I slapped him in the face, uh, there would be a separation in our relationship. Am I right? You would not be happy with me, and I would feel the guilt and shame for hurting you and your fa- feelings, right? And so I might uh, I might process that as, "Okay, I'm just not going to talk to Paul anymore, and he's not going to talk to me." There is separation. This is what happens every time we sin against God, right? Every time you lie, every time you, uh, abuse people, every time you abuse yourself, right? There becomes, there, there, as a result, there's a separation with God. And so atonement says that we have to go through a process in order to once again come back together, right? This is conflict resolution. That at some point I'm going to have to humble myself and say, you know, Paul, I'm really sorry, man. I was an idiot. Can you please forgive me? Oh, that was so nice. And our relationship can once again be made one. Atonement means to be made one with. And this, this is where we find hope and healing this morning. In the pagan world, there is all kinds of ceremonies. And, and painful uh, situations that people can go through. But the problem with this, this earthly view of atonement is that it's, it's very superficial. This was the problem of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And God gave his people a way to atone for their sins. A system of sacrifices. He said, for poor people, you know, you can, you can, uh, uh, you can buy a couple of, uh, of birds. Some pigeons. And, uh, so that was available. Uh, pigeons are, are very cheap. You could catch them yourself. Uh, but then you could take them to the priest and the priest is gonna kill those pigeons on your behalf. And it was a way because the blood was shed to atone or cover for your sins. If you could afford a higher sacrifice for some people, that would be a goat or a lamb or perhaps even a bull a large sacrifice something expensive and especially if you were a person who had lots of sins you would have to be visiting the temple very often in order so that uh, and the way that those sacrifices would happen is that uh, the priest is the one who would who would make the sacrifice but as as the the death is happening they would uh, for example if 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 it's a sheep You would bring your sheep to the the temple. The priests would prepare it and cleanse it and do all of that. Uh, The priests are actually the one who would take the knife and kill the sacrifice. But as the sheep was dying, you would have your hand on its head. And you would be feeling the life leave the body of that innocent little lamb. And what that is, uh what that is, is a transference. You are putting your sins onto the body of that innocent lamb. And the blood of that innocent animal was being symbolically transferred onto your account. This is the system that God gave. But, you know, the problem with that is that day after day, week after week, month after month, the blood is flowing through the temple. And it was only a temporary feeling. It was only temporary. Intended to be a stopgap. This is what the day of Yom Kippur was pointing toward one day. In our scripture, verse 29, this statute, this day shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your soul and do no work at all. Now, this is something very interesting this morning. God is using the holiday of the Day of Atonement. This is traditionally the day, the only day of the year, that the high priest of Israel would prepare himself, would fast and, and uh, do all of these ceremonial rituals and cleansing. And this is the only day of the year that the priest would enter into the most holy place of the temple of God. For every other day of the year, it was an empty place. It was a holy Set apart place behind a curtain that no one was to enter into. And it is only on this day, the Yom Kippur, that the high priest would go in to the most holy place and he would make a sacrifice on behalf of all of God's people. But something very interesting that's included here in the instructions for how they are to celebrate and worship this day is he makes a statement here, you shall afflict your soul. Afflict your soul. I want you to think about that for a minute. What does that mean to afflict your soul? Well, the way that the Jews would interpret this is that they would fast. In fact, to this day, observant Jews will actually fast for 25 hours from the day, from the time that the sun goes down at Yom Kippur begins until the next day after the sun goes down again. They, they, they eat no food and they drink no water. 24 hours complete fast, unless, of course, sick or pregnant. You know, they make some exceptions. But for the day of Yom Kippur, if you went to Israel, the modern-day Israel today, you would find on on that day that just happened last week, you would find everything shut down. You, the, the airport is shut down. The restaurants are shut down. The Walmarts are shut down. I don't know if they have Walmart in Israel. Probably they do. But everything is shut down on that day. Why? Because this is a day for atonement. It is a day to afflict the soul. Let me tell you this morning that God never asks you to afflict the body. He never asks you to purposefully harm yourself physically. It is a soul affliction. Do you see the difference this morning? The difference between what we're seeing in our culture, the pagan practice of harming your body and and, and uh, opening wounds, both physical and emotional, versus the affliction of soul. This is something that we have to be familiar with. This is what Jesus spoke about when he said, uh, follow me, take up your cross daily. Now when Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me, he wasn't being literal. He wasn't saying, you know, go be crucified every day. He was saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to keep your flesh under control. That is a soul affliction, not a body affliction. The Jews do this on the day of Yom Kippur, a solemn day of fasting and prayer, where the only thing that they do is attend the synagogue services. They afflict their souls Not their body. Listen to what verse 30 of our scripture says. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you. In other words, the atonement is not something for you to do. It is something for you to receive. The atonement is not for us to be involved in. He says, you simply afflict your soul, pray and fast, seek the Lord, and that atonement will be made on your behalf. The way that we afflict our soul this morning, if, if we are attempting to afflict ourselves or pay the price for our own sins, it only brings greater harm. It only brings greater division and separation from God. It only hurts us more. But if we would r- afflict our soul through repentance and humility, if we would ask the Lord to atone our sins for us, I want to tell you, we will find a much better result. So let's close by looking at effective atonement. As believers in Christ, we have a new promise, don't we? We have a new covenant. We have a new testament. We have a new way of receiving a permanent at one mint from the Lord, and that is through Jesus Christ. All of the systems of, of ceremony, all of the sacrifices uh, that God provided to His people, the Jewish people, the day of Yom Kippur, the day of the high priest going into the most holy place, all of that was pointing towards something new. When Jesus showed up on the earth, they thought He would be a revolutionary, they thought He would overthrow the Roman government. They thought that He would uh, bring uh, freedom, uh, political freedom, to the Jewish people so that they would rise once again and overtake their captors. They, they had lots of ideas of who the Messiah would be. That's the second coming, not the first one. But when Jesus came to the earth, He did not come to overthrow and conquer the world. He came to bring atonement. At one with God, this is what our scripture says. First Titus, sorry Titus chapter two verse twelve, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. How can you do that? The truth is that nobody has the strength to live righteously and soberly. In our own strength right have you tried doing that without god it doesn't work too well romans 6 12 uh the apostle paul says do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts you know that's really hard to do do not let sin have control over you romans 8 13 if you live according to the flesh you will die But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How does that happen, church? How can Paul put that expectation? How can he say, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect? Did you ever read that and get a little angry? Like, I can't be perfect, Lord. Don't you know who I am? And he knows that, doesn't he? How can He put that expectation in front of us? It's because He gave us a sacrifice. Again, verse 30 of our Scripture, On that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. I'm here to tell you that Christ is our great High Priest. In Hebrews 9, verse 11, it says, Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. Jesus became the high priest who did not come to sacrifice a bull or a goat or a sheep or a pigeon. He came to shed his own blood, to give himself as a sacrifice Listen to it again Hebrews 9 with his own blood not the blood of goats and calves he entered the most holy place what is that that's the cross for once and for all time and secured our redemption forever under the old system the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. What Christ provided for us on the cross was more than just a religious image that we can observe on Sunday morning. The blood that was shed by Jesus is our atonement. Christ hung on the cross, and the last words that He spoke are, it is finished. The word in the Aramaic language that he actually cried out was tetelestai. It is finished. It is done. The price has been paid. The work has been finished, accomplished. It has, there is nothing left for us to do. In other words, this morning, we all know, can we be honest? We all know that we're sinners. We all know that we're broken. We all know that without Christ, we deserve death and hell and the grave. Now, you have two choices. You can either try to make up for your own sins through bodily affliction and ultimately end up in hell, paying the price for the things that you've done. Or, <laughs> I have a better choice for you. You can afflict your soul this morning through humility, repentance, and seeking His face, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And when you do that, the Bible says that God will take the sacrifice that was made for us on the cross and He will apply it to your account. He will atone for the things that you have done. Jesus didn't deserve to die. He lived a perfect life. He didn't deserve what He got. And as a result, you will receive something that you don't deserve. Forgiveness. Grace. You will be made one with the Lord. We will find ourselves joined together with Christ. This is the picture of why when you get saved, you, you experience a baptism in water. What that is, is a picture of of uh, you, the old life, the old version of you, the unsaved, the un uh, unredeemed old man in Christ. That is what is you're leaving behind in the waters of baptism. And as you come out from those waters, you are made anew. You are born again. It is a symbol, a sign of what's already occurred in our hearts. That we come out fresh and new, saved and atoned, a child of God, not the child of the devil. And when we are made at one with Christ, then we have access to the family of God, the spirit of adoption, Romans chapter 8, by whom we can cry out, Abba, Father. And the same inheritance that belongs to Christ can also belong to us. This is not possible through you trying to make up for your own sins through self-punishment. You can't do it. Can I just remind you this morning that even if you spent the rest of your life living like a monk on top of a mountain trying to be holy, it would never be enough to make up for all of the sins that you've committed. Never. If you put on the scales of justice, on one side is all of the evil and wickedness of the thoughts that have run through our minds, all of that, that's a lot of evil. How many can understand that? And if you try, okay, I'll go to church one day, Okay, I'll give $10. Okay, I'll, I'll help the little old lady across the street. Okay, you know, I'll, I'll give to some charity. I'll try to be a good person. I'll try to tell the truth. Do you think that by the, you reach the end of your life that you will ever make up for all of this? You can't do it. No matter how you might afflict yourself. No matter how you might, you might try to pay your own price. I want to tell you the price is too high. The only one who could ever pay it is our Savior. The only one who could carry the weight of the sins of all humanity was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the One who died and carried the cross when we trust in Him. that's the only way you can find at at-one-ment, atonement for your sins. My call this morning... Is humble yourself. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant it. We want to fill in the gaps with our religious duties. We want to do something to make up for the evil that we've done. But I tell you, when he said it was finished, he meant it. There is nothing left for you to do except to receive what Christ has done for us. Faith and trust. When we afflict the soul rather than the body, the fruit of that is a connection to God. We can find ourselves redeemed and in His presence. And sometimes it's surprising. I see new believers who come to the Lord and all of a sudden they feel the joy, the surge of knowing the presence of God. And maybe you can remember the first time you felt that forgiveness, that cleansing, that healing, and it was, you, many people describe it as a weight that is lifted off of your shoulders. And that's surprising. God, why would you have mercy on a sinner like me? Because someone has carried that burden for you. Someone has lifted the punishment for your sins off of your soul. And when we want to Oh, Lord, just just let me pay the price for my own. That's not going to work. That's why when we come to the Lord, it is an action of soul affliction, not body affliction. Are you with me this morning? The only way that we can receive this is through faith, repentance, and humility. That's your entrance ticket into the kingdom. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. You're not going to find a a, a second door into heaven. You're not going to jump over the wall, right? Heaven has walls. (laughs) Heaven has a gate, and Jesus is that gate. And the only way to make it through this gate is not to force your way through. You're not going to do that. You're not going to buy your way. You're not going to be good enough. It is humility and repentance. And if that's not good enough for you, then I'm sorry. It's not good enough. The call this morning is not to greatness, but to smallness. And when when we will approach the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Show me mercy. Then God does an incredible miracle. The price is paid not by you, but by Him. And you will no longer feel the need to self-destruct. Isn't that wonderful? And what you will find is God's mercy and forgiveness and purpose and healing for your life. And then you will realize how valuable you are. Listen, if you ever question how much you are worth to God, look to the cross. What Christ was willing to do so that you and I could be saved and set free You are valuable to Him. And when we humble ourselves and find this atonement, you will find purpose and healing, and you will find joy and meaning for the rest of your life. Did I say that all your problems are going to be solved? No. Did I say that you'll never get sick again? No. Did I say that you'll never cry? Well, that's coming later, when every tear shall be wiped away. But in this life, you will still have trouble but that trouble will not rule over you. You might be persecuted as our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are being persecuted to the death even now, but I guarantee you they are dying with smiles on their faces because they know the Savior. Because their sins have been atoned. And I'm asking you this morning, are you still trying to pay the price for your own sins? You're going to drive yourself crazy. And only do more damage. I urge you today, afflict the soul, not the body. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays,